Warning, this episode contains foul language, reference to violence and gore, discussions about race, gender, and sexual orientation, and mention of rape. podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we get together to chat about something weird, and this is officially October, you guys! It's our favorite month! We made it! We did it! Um, Actually, we're recording this episode, it's like September 28th. Eight, so we might not make it to October, but I'm pretty sure we will because it's in two days. So here's hoping it's the best month of the year, and we're starting off the month with an episode on something very close to our hearts. We have been blessed with film since 1895. That's when the first ever film debuted in Paris, and it was only one year later in 1896 that we got the first film intended to scare us. They are what kept you up at night when you were a child, either out of fascination or terror. I've had both. They make us come face to face with our nightmares. It's one of the most progressive and creative genres of film and television. So grab a blankie and some popcorn because today we are discussing horror movies. My name is Ashley and this is my co-host Lauren. Hi weirdos. Happy October. Happy October. Happy Halloween every day of the month. That's right. I'm so excited. Woo! I'm really excited. I'm also very tired. September's been hard. Was it hard for you too? It was incredibly hard, what especially the f- like the last F. couple weeks. What's going on? I don't know. I kept Googling like, is something happening with is there the moon? A planet being weird? <laughs> yeah. Is there a planet in retrograde? What is going on? Because yeah, it just felt like hit after hit and I mean, not to get too depressing, but, like, one of my closest friend's dads died in September, like, out of the blue, and I think I even told you, like, earlier in the year, my other friend's dad died, and it was just like, what, A, what is happening with 2020, but September just brought a whole lot of stress and sadness. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like I've had more to do, but maybe I have. I did a lot of YouTube video editing, which is usually stuff they don't do. And I had a lot of like legal stuff that I've been doing for the show. And, you know, we did our Halloween cards. But like other than that, that's like five things. It was definitely (laughs) it is. But it was still like extra that you weren't used to, especially being in a (laughs) pandemic when it's been like really not that much to do for all of us. Yeah, you definitely had more on your plate. So that's fair. Don't talk it down. Yeah, maybe that's why it just feels I just feel very, very tired. And I don't know what it is. Well, I do know what it is. I'm excited. So I just feel like once I make it to Friday. (laughs) I know I keep thinking that every day will be wonderful for 30 days. That's right. Nothing can be bad. Nothing can (laughs) be bad except, you know. It, it sucks because like the election is just looming over us. 
I was just going to say, at least this isn't the election month yet, but it's so close that I feel like things are only going to get more stressful and anxiety-inducing because we're just crawling closer and closer to it. So it's bringing bringing a lot of feelings, for sure. Probably. I'm going to throw up. So actually, oh, that's one thing. Our Halloween cards, they turned out amazing. Yeah, they're so good. If you sign up to be an October patron, we will send you a Halloween card. Mm Mm-hmm. They're the cutest, and I'm so excited for you to receive them. They are very cute. I designed one, and and Alex, Lauren's husband, designed the other, and they are both amazing, and I'm so excited to use my Halloween stamps from USPS. (laughs) Yes, mine finally arrived, and I'm obsessed with them. Uh, We do have new patrons, and I have to profess my love for them publicly now. This month, we say hello to Krista Smith. What's up, Krista? Hey, Krista. Are you named after Krista from Ferngully? Because she's my hero. Oh, she's the best. We also get to welcome Heather O. Heather O, my, it's great to have you. (laughs) Hello, Heather. And introducing the man with an incredible name, hopefully I pronounce this right, Mr. Sylvanus Paul also joined this month. Sylvanus Paul, that is a name. Hello to you. Hello to you. Thank you guys so much for donating to our show. Um, You guys are the reason we get to do the show and and we get content out to you so regularly and also why we don't have to have ads. So if anyone else wants to join our Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month to the show. Seriously, every single dollar counts. And you can donate for one month if you like or two and then you can disappear into the night like a shadow. (laughs) $5 a month gets you a discount on merch. Shout out on the show. And our monthly newsletter, which is just enormous usually. It's very long. And if you donate $10 a month, you get all of that and a bonus full-length episode of the show every month. So join us. It's pretty great, guys. It is Join us. That's at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. (laughs) It's the podcast. podcast. Don't forget it. Oh, and uh, congratulations and a huge thank you to Lacey Erickson and Rebecca Vanden for participating in our stay-at-home costume challenge Yeah, and for winning some free shirts and tanks. You guys rule. Your costumes were great. We love you so much. One more quick thing before we get started. Last year... We had a Halloween costume contest and mm-hmm. one, it was amazing. We had like a hundred yeah. people send in their costumes, you guys maybe more. showed up. It was best. Awesome. It was so good. And our winners got a free shirt and a painting done by yours truly. We had two winners last year. This year, we're doing a pumpkin carving contest for the entire Yee. month of October. And we'll also have prizes. You could possibly win some buttons. You could possibly win an original painting or even the grand prize. A couple of you might win a Zoom call with me and Lauren. Zoom party (laughs) with the hosts of Keep It Weird. Yeah, Zoom party. If you are one of our favorite pumpkins and you participate in our Halloween fun on social media throughout the month, you can come hang out with us on Zoom. And we want to meet you. We do want to meet you face to face, not just typing Typing? Yeah. Typography. Yeah, through a keyboard. Through keyboard. On Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The rules are really simple. The rules are that you have to send us a picture of you and your pumpkin by November 1st. So you have all month to carve or paint or decorate a pumpkin and send us a pic that we will post on our Instagram to show you guys off. I'm so excited about it because I know we just have the most creative listeners in the world. You guys always show up when we need you to. So I'm just, I'm so pumped to see what you guys come up with on the pumpkins because I know there's going to be some awesome ones. There's going to be some characters, some hella scary faces, and maybe a guy with one tooth because there's always a pumpkin with one tooth that shows <laughs> up and we're ready for it all. Ready for all of it. And uh, I'll be carving too. Joe and I carve a pumpkin. Yeah, we'll do two some pumpkins too. every year. I'm terrible at it. Alex's are always really good and mine are a joke. So it'll make you guys feel better as you're submitting your pumpkins because <laughs> mine will be so terrible. <laughs> Uh, do you remember back in the day when we did arts and crafts the month of October when we could actually yeah. meet in person? We made it part of our activities and Ashley would always All have right. to teach me oh. and guide me through it because you were so good at it and like you have a knack for arts and crafts, but even if you were learning it for the first time, you'd still have to teach and to help me because mine were always so bad. Well, we I thought you were going to tell everyone that I almost set the apartment on fire, which I oh, did well, almost I wasn't do. gonna, <laughs> but you tattled on yourself. I know. She did almost burn yeah, the apartment down. It was very funny, though. Um, it was. And we caught it on video of the shock video, and awe in our face. <laughs> oh, those were such good I put out the fire by hitting it hard with <laughs> a lighter. <laughs> yes, you did. It was very oh, dumb. Oh, my gosh. I think in that same video, this is much less scary, but it was so dumb. I was using the glue gun with mm -hmm. my left hand, and it was taking me like 45 minutes to glue something. And you were like, wow, I didn't know you were left-handed. And I was like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just this stupid. Is, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. You were like, switch hands, you idiot. Oh, God. Special times. <laughs> If you guys are $10 patrons of the show, scroll back real far, back to 2018, Seven. I think. 17 or 18. It might have been 17, yeah. Oh, my God. So, oh. on to today's topic. We are heading into October with a bang. Every episode of the show this month is going to be spooky or Halloween-y or dark goblin-y themed, including... <laughs> The month is going to end on Devil's Night, October 30th, with a very extra creepy listener ghost stories episode. Yes. So that's your Halloween present. Uh, but this week is all about horror movies. We've done a few episodes on horror movies. We had Rosemary's Benjamin, which was about horror movies based on real life events. And we went over those events and what movies got it right and wrong and what was embellished. Or in the case of the Mothman prophecies, they actually scaled it down because they thought the yeah, real story great. was too unbelievable. <sighs> we had the wild. coming of the anti-Christine, which was about cursed movies. Oh, yeah, that was fun. And we had our first little reunion episode where we each got to bring a horror movie and give some behind the scenes stories from the making of them, which was a blast. Oh, yes. This time we're getting a little deeper than all that. For the most part, horror movies are filled with allegories or they are cautionary tales full of metaphors and social commentary. And a lot of the time it can be hard to see through the blood and guts 
and occasionally it's missed entirely. So today we're going to be taking some of our favorite and not so favorite genres of films <laughs> and the movies within them that went a little bit deeper than just scares. And Lauren is going to start us off today because she's doing the slashers. Slasher movies. Which is like the true crime equivalent of a horror movie. <laughs> it is. It's fitting. Even though I wouldn't say slashers are my favorite. No, they are. <laughs> it's funny because I say that just off the top of my head. But then when I think of the movies within them, I'm like, those are the ones I choose to watch when I'm bored. So I think they are my favorite. I love a good slasher. Do you like slashers? How do you feel? You know what? It's hard to say because there, it's there's such a wide variety. Because technically, you could say that um, you know uh, Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and Jason they're slashers, technically, right. just because they're not a person, a regular dude, no, for sure, doing the slashing. Yeah. It's still a slasher, and I love all those. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, I think in the slasher genre, the only thing I don't like is um, the super rapey ones. Yep. Pass on that. I don't care about Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your oh Grave. Oh, my gosh. No, thank I you. I made the mistake of watching I Spit on Your Grave, like, recently. Good I mean, Lord. like, a year ago, a year, a year and a half ago when I say recently, but I had avoided it because I knew what it was about, but I finally one day was like, I should just watch it. It's a classic. I should say, I want to be able to say that I've seen it, but boy, was that a mistake. I turned it off before the end. It was so gross. It was yeah. so disturbing. I, yeah, I can't do that like revenge torture porn yeah. kind of movie. Well, I, I don't rough. like super exploitative movies, and that's yeah. what they always feel like to me. Definitely. And uh, I also don't really like home invasion movies. I know you do, though. Some, yeah, okay. when they're done well. I mean, I really like The Strangers, yeah. which, yeah, I was going back and forth on if Strangers is considered a slasher but i mean it is like once i really got down to it and it is one of my favorites just because it's like man they just <laughs> randomly chose this house these people just got so unlucky like yeah, i mean that that's idea why i love showing up funny games oh my gosh that movie yeah that's a good that's a wild ride it's rough. <laughs> That's rough. Oh, goodness. So anyway, so yes, yeah. I do. I do slashers. like slashers. You do like yeah. them, clearly. But I agree with you. Like, there's such a wide range of what a slasher is. Mm -hmm. And I was even going to say, like, by definition, if you look it up, like, an easy way to say what a slasher film is, is, like, there is a killer, usually a human. But like you said, there are some movies where it's kind of a supernatural entity, but it looks like it's in the human form, sort of. But it's usually one person or human-like thing chasing after a group of people and murdering them with any kind of tool that's not a gun. That's basically the best way to put it. It's usually a knife. That's the most common, but sometimes it's an axe. Sometimes it's a freaking chainsaw. It's anything but a gun, because that would be kind of boring if a guy was just running around <laughs> shooting people in the head. Like, we, we like the stock. We like the chase. And that's part of the fun of slashers as well, is there usually is a little bit of stalking, or, yeah, they're suspenseful. You know, yeah, where you're like, this person is following me around, or they made a creepy phone call, and I don't know where they are. Like, it's just, it can be such a fun ride when done well. So you're that's right. kind of yeah. what slashers are because all Because especially with slashers, in the good ones, for sure, but a lot of them, they don't have a, a set formula. So you don't yeah. necessarily know who's going to end up alive. Right. Uh, I mean, so... You can tell in a lot of them because there is a, a 
very special person that usually stays alive that I'm sure you're going to talk about it. But I'm saying like the <laughs> order of death, you have no idea. You have no idea how they're going to die, when they're going to die, right. who stays alive. Yep. So it is sort of like it's like a fun game. That's why I liked yeah. and so many people hated it. But that's why I liked Roanoke, AHS Roanoke. Yeah. Because Joe and I. I Roanoke. Yeah. We would just like get drunk and watch Roanoke and like bet on like who is gonna live or die because it literally at the beginning of the season they're like only one person lives at the end it's like awesome right so who you're like is who it? the hell is it gonna <laughs> be who's gonna die yeah. and it was so it was so much fun if you watch yeah, it that, that mystery to it is so great and I love a good whodunit which a lot yeah. of slashers later on yeah, in life right. became that but um, I'm kind of going to go in chronological order with slashers and just kind of talk about, you know, ones that I love and why they were special and some of the themes that were throughout them. But I wanted to mention some of the precursors to slashers that aren't necessarily slashers in the way we know them today. But um, Psycho and Peeping Tom yep. both premiered in 1960 and introduced this new kind of like there can be a stalking murderer but in Psycho, the body count wasn't super high. In Peeping Tom, it was a little higher and a little creepier. But Psycho changed the game in its own way, as most of us know. Um, it was the first time that we were seeing horror as a person. Like we, a human being was being the terror instead of a monster or radioactive goo or an object or whatnot. Like we had seen these other forms of terror before, but this was the first time it was a person. And that was a really big deal. And it terrified people, and the initial reception was that maybe Hitchcock had gone too far because the shower scene was also the first time we saw such a intense murder and, like, the blood running out in the water. And, I mean, even though, like, nowadays you'd look back on the effects of the knife hitting the woman and you're kind of like, that looks dumb. But for the time, that was a huge deal to show yeah. the knife, like, making contact with her skin. None of that stuff was ever really showed. The shower scene, more than any other horror thriller, like changed the game. It was new, it was brave, and it made people feel really uneasy. It made it didn't have a perfectly good reception because a lot of people were like, "I think this maybe went too far." We watched it last year, I think, around Halloween. I hadn't seen it for a couple years. I was surprised at how um, brutal the shower yeah. scene was. Like I was watching it, and I was like, "This is fucking worse than any scream death." Like this is yeah, so violent, right? and it goes yeah, on for and the way so she, long. <laughs> it goes on forever. First of all, and you just keep seeing the water get more and more red, and then like how she slumps down and pulls the shower curtain down, and you're just like, oh, Good it just Lord. feels so. I can imagine agonizing at that time. Yeah, being shook. Yeah. It paved the way for people to get more bold. That's what was exciting about it. Is everyone was like, hey, now I think I can go a little further. And then I'm jumping to a movie that, boy, it really, it really ran with some gore and disturbing images. Because <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974 Oof. went next level. But gosh, I love this movie. But it's rough. Like, I can only watch it like once every couple of years, both the old one and the new one, which I actually enjoy. I know it's a hot take. A lot of people hated no, it. No, I actually, but I, I like the one with Jessica Biel. Yeah, yes. it, it kind of didn't really have the same effect as the original. Totally, uh, but did, I thought it was good. Yeah, I don't. I, thought I have, I have no great. qualms. Yeah, 
I actually haven't watched that one in a while. I watched the older one last year, but I, this October, Jess Kabeel, you and me, girl, we have a date. <laughs> you and okay. me and that belly button, because it is out oh the whole God. time. I know. She's showing that midriff. She's showing her cleavage. I mean, she looks great. Let's all be honest. She was a great main character <laughs> for that movie. Okay, but 1974, next level Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because not only was it the first movie to have like unrelenting gore and incredibly disturbing images, but it was a movie that was reflecting the world around it. So it was released right before the end of the Vietnam War, and the country was not in a great place. We were feeling sadness, we were feeling rage, we were feeling a lot of anxiety due to not really seeing an end in sight and not knowing what the future would hold. And this movie was released during that time. And also, to top things off, with all the anger we're feeling about the Vietnam War and the amount of deaths and horrible things that are happening, we're in a huge economic crisis and everyone is losing their jobs and nobody has any money. So what I thought was cool about this movie is there's so many subtle mentions of that, of Mm -hmm. just the economic crisis alone. Like in the beginning... When the van of these, you know, innocent youths just driving through town trying to enjoy their day, they pick up a hitchhiker and he ends up, of course, being kind of a mental case and not the best. But he is talking about how everyone is losing their jobs and he's saying, you know, you have to adapt and you have to find a different route. And that was exactly what was happening was people were getting in these desperate positions where they didn't know what to do and they had to find work another way and for this hitchhiker and his family that we meet soon thereafter they decided they were gonna get their meat from killing humans and (laughs) maybe wearing their faces around so it was (laughs) on occasion on occasion maybe wearing a face and cooking the human meat it was just people were watching this movie and relating to it not in that they wanted to go wear someone's face but in the aspect of like shit yeah like we're unemployed and we don't know what to do and we're desperate desperation everywhere yeah it's on the news it's in our homes it's all over the place and also as i mentioned before just the rage and anxiety that people wanted to release that kind of came through with these crazy crazy murders because it wasn't a movie of just, oh, stabbed ya and you're dead. It was quiet. Like, no, this guy had a chainsaw. There were long chase scenes. There were, you know, wrestling with people, pinning them down. Like at one point, one of the family members is like sucking the blood out of a girl's finger after she cut herself. It's like these disturbing, crazy, rage-filled scenes were on the screen. And again, even though it was a lot, and there were some people who I'm sure were put off by it, other people were watching it saying like, I get it. Like, I'm angry, too. And this feels like a way to, you know, kind of experience my rage is going and seeing this movie and watching this chainsaw wielding guy. It just, it sort of was the epitome of the anger that everybody was feeling. I don't know the answer to this. Was that the first horror movie to claim to be based off a real story? Ooh, right? Man, that is a good question. It may be because it's the first one I remember. Same, because the way that the oh my gosh, those opening credits still like give me yeah, chills when I think about are... them. <laughs> yeah, like the guy Too has that much. low monotone voice, and it's like on this date when these young people are driving through town, this horrible massacre. Like just the way he talks about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it definitely you could be right. 
Because I think that is part of the reason people were so shocked mm-hmm. by it and so excited by it is they were like, wow, is this real? Did this happen? Yeah. So. And you didn't have the internet at the time. So it's like, guess yeah. it's real. You know, it wasn't until. <laughs> I'll believe you. I remember watching the remake and I actually had, I had bought the DVD and um, I didn't know. I, I knew it was based on a real story, but I didn't know what the real story was. And there actually was a special that came. It was like a double disc. And this d- d- other disc like told what the it was based off of, which is Ed Gein. And right. uh, Ed Gein killed like a person. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. And like. Right. But I mean, sick, like totally sick. Like, oh, yeah. You in know. a horrible way and made lampshades out yeah. of her body. But still. That was my first realization that like, oh, when they say it's based off a real story, they could mean anything. Yeah, totally. They're like, we took the skin wearing and we made a whole new thing and it's based off yep. a real thing that happened, sort of. We're no gonna one's going to know story. because it's 1974 and no one has the internet. That's true. Yeah. So that movie, I mean, it changed the game in many, many ways. But another wonderful game changing slasher movie that also gave peace of mind to the women and aided in the rise of feminism was 1978 beautiful film you may have heard of it called halloween we love it and there are actually a couple of cool themes throughout this movie that i want to discuss and it changed slasher movies in many ways so in The late 60s, early 70s, we were beginning to see a lot of damsels in distress in movies. And it was like we were starting to see this typical character in slashers where it was a woman with big boobs running around in a skimpy little outfit or a swimsuit. She was getting murdered without really fighting back. She just sort of looked helpless. She was there for the screams. She was a scream queen. And she just sort of appeared like she didn't really have a brain or any sort of self-defense mode that could be activated in her body. And that was the character we were seeing a lot. But Halloween introduced us to a female that actually could fight back. We meet Laurie Strode, and she was played by adorable little 19-year-old Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, she wasn't like a sex pot, which I love. No. It was like seeing yourself on screen. Because, when you know, when you see that, you're like a teenager. No one's a sex pot teenager. Exactly. Like people were relating to her because she dressed like anyone would dress and she looked like a normal high school girl. And she was representing purity and innocence. And, you know, she wasn't sexually active. That was a big thing in the movie that everyone was having sex around her. And she was just sort of this pure, innocent and vulnerable girl. She's likable. She's relatable. And many critics will say this is the first time that they felt like they really cared about the main character and wished for the best to happen to her. And really cool, I was watching um, Eli Roth's History of Horror, which Ashley told me about. It was so good. And Jamie Lee Curtis was interviewed, and she remembers not fully understanding the importance of Laurie and that character during filming, and she just sort of did whatever John Carpenter told her to do. But when she went to see the movie in Hollywood and heard screams from the audience and people saying, don't go in there, stop, don't do it, he's behind you, she started to catch on to the fact that people were relating to the character and actually wanted what was best for her. her. Yeah, and they wanted her to survive. And she was like, oh, I get it now. Like Everybody likes her. And the great news is, sorry, spoiler alert, but also not because you should have seen this movie by now. She does survive. <laughs> I feel like even if you haven't seen it, you know that like new Halloween movies have come out and she's in them right. as an and older she's person. In them. So, <laughs> right. She so survived. I feel, yeah. I don't feel bad. But because she survives, we are introduced to the movie trope of the final girl. Yes. 
And a final girl is a female in a slasher movie who survives after everyone around her is murdered and gone, and she usually confronts the killer one final time and lives to tell the tale. So the term was coined by a woman named Carol J. Clover in her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film, which I'm like, need to read that. And she theorizes that at the end of a slasher film, the final girl becomes a bit masculinized, and with the help of a phallic tool is usually a knife or a saw she's able to take down her aggressor and the idea is that the final girl becomes a heroine who survives without the help of a man and carol said this in her book and now final girl is a term that we all know we all use all the time there's even there's a, a series of horror movies called yeah. the final girl yeah, so. yeah so this was all started by her um, and now this is a trope we wouldn't even think twice about because it happens so often but when the movie came out this hadn't really happened before, and it was exciting for women everywhere to have this badass heroine coming out of the carnage, still alive and fighting. You know, we don't just have to be bimbos. We can fight. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were freaking out in the 70s and 80s, and even now, saying that you're just brutalizing women and that this is a gore fetish. But right. I don't know. It was the opposite. Most women actually say they feel empowered. That's true. Slashers are yeah. huge with women, and they wouldn't be at all if it wasn't for the final girl, I'm sure. But but women actually make up more of horror moviegoers than men. I think it breaks down to like 60% of horror moviegoers are women. Like, are some aspects of slashers problematic? Uh, yeah, but to go as far as to say it's just brutalizing women is... I don't know. I can speak for myself. Thank you. Definitely. Um, and just a few movies in the basically now never-ending list that uses Final Girls is, this is a no order, but there's Nightmare on Elm Street, I Know What You Did Last Summer, there's Scream, there's Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually from 1974 had a Final Girl, but we just didn't know the term yet. But actually the main girl at the end like leaves in the bed of a truck completely covered in blood, laughing maniacally. It's very creepy and disturbing. And we're actually led to believe that she probably is in a car with someone who's going to kill her. So she probably didn't live, but she's alive <laughs> when the credits roll. <laughs> so we can kind of call her a final girl, but she probably did. Um, Urban Legend. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Friday yes, the yes. 13th. You're Next, <laughs> which I just watched recently. So those all have final girls, but there's so many more. And also represented in Halloween is basically the allegory of sexual awakening. This was mm -hmm. huge in the movie. Um, it's funny because John Carpenter will say, like, this was purely coincidental. He was just making a horror movie. Like, I didn't mean to put any sexual themes in it. But it's like, dude, yes, you did. Because that's like the whole movie. But like Halloween, basically everyone who gets murdered, like almost all of them have just engaged in sexual activity throughout the movie. And it's starting to show that your murder is going to happen if you have sexual experience and that the more innocent you are, or if you're a virgin completely, you'll get to live longer and you'll get to fight another day. And Lori is a virgin. She's able to escape mostly unscathed, as does Dr. Loomis and the preteen Tommy Doyle, who obviously isn't sexually active. So it's kind of like the characters who are innocent and are not representing sex in the movie all survive, while all of the sexually active people are getting murdered. So it was kind of seeming of this message of okay, maybe you should stay innocent a little bit longer. Maybe you shouldn't engage in sexual activity. And the second that you experience your sexual awakening, you're endangering yourself. And, you know, you could live a life of promiscuity. It was, you could take the message in many different ways. But I'm just shocked that John Carpenter says, like, no, 
I didn't mean to put that in there because it feels very clear that there is supposed to be this sexual some sort of commentary. It. Yeah, for on sure. Sexuality. Yeah, that's how it feels. Some people, this is a little more rare, but I did think this was interesting in an article I found that some people have critiqued this movie as being a representation of American social values, that parents were becoming more and more unavailable to their kids. Mm. And this was shown by like no parents being present basically the entire movie. Nobody was calling and checking in on their kids. Nobody was there to protect them. They were all, all these teenagers and then the young child were just kind of left to fend for themselves, which as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, yep. Why was nobody there? I mean, technically, Lori was the babysitter, right? So she was. So she was the caregiver. But it is true. Like, why didn't anyone like find a phone and call to be like, how's it going? Like, nobody was around for so long, it felt like. But it was the 70s. They're lucky that kid had a babysitter. And it wasn't just like, don't eat poison. Uh, Don't touch the knives. The stove or the knives. Put uh, yourself to bed, brush your teeth. Stay on the couch, don't eat too much candy, and we'll be home when we're home because it's the 70s exactly. and we're probably off doing cocaine. <laughs> exactly. That's very true. But again, that questions America's social values, yeah. so it fits right in. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was an interesting one that I hadn't even thought of. But Halloween had a lot of themes throughout it. After Halloween, we got Friday the 13th, which is basically the most successful horror franchise out there, where we meet Jason in the hockey mask, and there's a million movies, and all of the kills are crazy town and very fun. But when do we meet him in the hockey mask? Not until the second. Third. The third? Second when he has a bag over his head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Just, true. Yeah, it's a sack. Yeah, and the first... In the first movie, we only meet his mom, and it's actually hilarious because you meet her, and she's just awesome. Like, I love her at the end of that movie. She's such a crazy person. Yeah, she's and then ten notches over the top. I love it. Yes. And then we see what looks like an adolescent's arm, which is supposed to be Jason, reach into the boat at the end of the movie. And that's when we realize this is going to turn into some sequels and a franchise, and it's very exciting. But what I think is funny is like I said, it's like a young looking arm. But then in the next movies, he's huge. He's like the biggest <laughs> guy you've ever seen. And I'm like, why was the arm so tiny? Well, I don't know one? if they set it up for sequels. We rewatched uh, Friday the 13th last year. And it was kind of like, yeah, that really comes out of nowhere. It is like not a supernatural movie in any possible way. And then that happens. And of course, like it's, it's sort of like, it was it a dream or was it not? Because then the next thing you see her in a hospital and she's like, Jason, he was there. He's a boy. And it's right. like, maybe Never. she's just... Like, crazy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the second movie, he's, he's, it is Jason, he's but he's in a bag. So. <laughs> oh. Anyway, all the slashers kind of started to look the same. It was lots of blood. The kills became almost comedic. Like they were all pretty over the top. It was all very bloody, lots of screaming, and they just weren't as exciting anymore. They actually kind of started to die off because people were like, okay, same thing over and over. But then in 1984, we got Nightmare on Elm Street, which was such a cool change to the genre because we got another supernatural element, but an even cooler one because the killer was murdering you in your sleep. And it was not a regular human psychopath. It was this supernatural dude with knives for fingers and everyone was freaking out and audiences loved that something finally felt fresh again. People got so excited. And what's cool is each movie of this franchise has a final girl and usually a pretty strong 
cool final girl. So that got a lot of women excited and also young gay men really excited Mm -hmm. because they felt like they were relating to the surviving girls too. And actually, I thought this was such a cool tidbit. Gay men specifically would write to Heather Langenkamp, who played final girl Nancy Thompson in the first movie, and they would write to her or when they saw her in person, they would say, you know, you facing Freddy in the end of the movie connected to me in a way that it felt like I now had the courage to face my family and friends and embrace who I truly am. And this was all because of you and, you know, the way that you faced him in the final confrontation, which I thought was so beautiful and cool that people were like idolizing her and using her strength as their own in their normal lives. So it was like, that was huge for the gay community when this movie came out. And then future movies of Nightmare on Elm Street, like, which one is it? Is it's it second three or four one. that's like the gay one? Oh, it's the second one. It's called like the gay Nightmare on Elm Street. Because... It's Freddy's Revenge and they call it Nightmare on yeah. Gay Street. And yeah, uh, it's like the gay movie. Yeah, well, and there's actually a documentary that's really, really fantastic. It's on Shudder. It's called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's about the lead actor, Mark Patton, whose career was basically ruined. Um, and if you watch, which is horrible, but he's found like a new life. It's It's got a happier ending. But if you watch, um, there's another documentary called Never Sleep Again. It's about every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And if you watch, you see the director and the producers and all this, like, we didn't know it was gay. And it was like, you, there's you 100% no way. knew it was gay. You didn't know it was gay. <laughs> you Everything absolutely about did. It gay. Like, it's so infuriating watching them being like, oh, we didn't know. And it's like, oh. We didn't mean knew. it. It's like. You knew exactly what you were doing. Yeah. 100%. I think that the um, that gay men especially find a lot in horror movies, especially like from a younger age, because it is all about facing your fears. Yeah, 100%. And I just, I find that most of my friends who are gay men are horror fanatics. And I'm like, what's the that connection true, there? now that you mention it. Yeah. What's the connection, guys? We'll ask Scott You're and Pete. You're not wrong. Along with the big theme of feminism that we've been talking about a lot, I did want to mention one movie that was racially charged, and it was another supernatural slasher in 1992 called Candyman. That's my shit. (laughs) That's my shit. I feel bad because I know my sister listens to the podcast, and she told me recently that Candyman scarred her as a child because we all have that movie that we watch maybe when we're a little too young, and it messes us up a little bit, and that was Candyman for her, which like... Oh my gosh, if you're too young when you watch that movie, it is terrifying. So I'm sorry, Julia, (laughs) that I'm talking about Candyman. Fast forward a little bit if you need to, but we got to mention it. Mostly because nowadays we've all seen Jordan Peele's amazing work and how he incorporates racism into horror movies. But Candyman, this was back in 1992, and it brought out the theme in its very own way. And first of all, the movie starts with the lynching of a black man. He's the son of a slave and dies in a horrific way because of his love for a white woman. So wonderful. That's just how things get kicked off. And it already is opening our eyes right away. It's like, well, bam, when the movie starts and brings us back to the true horrors associated with slavery. But then the movie flashes to present day. A lot happens. I'm not going to tell you the whole plot of the movie, but we still come face to face with harsh realities in the present day. Because the the main girl, this young white middle class woman, goes to a housing project in Chicago. Cabrini Green. Yes, Cabrini Green. 
It was one of the most dangerous housing projects in Chicago. It's not around anymore, but at the time. And she uncovers this community of people that she knew nothing about. She had been blind to what was happening in the city, and she learns what true poverty can look like and what these families go through. And even though the monster in this movie is a black man, it also excited the black community because they were just excited to see representation. So people were coming out in droves to see this movie because there were several black characters and even the murderer being a black man. And I think a lot of people got excited about having this movie and, you know, showing people that looked like them and also, show you know, uncovering a truth of their lives that maybe wasn't hitting the news and that a lot of people weren't seeing. So I think this movie opened a lot of eyes and was definitely taking a step, I hope, in the right direction back in the 90s but I thought it was pretty cool and it's terrifying and it's also so it's terrifying and also I feel like Candyman isn't necessarily that like Candyman himself is the murderer I think it's more like the the left like all the hate like all the like yeah. racist the hate that the racism yeah that he was experiencing but also like the hate of everyone in Cabrini Green, like the gangs right. and the people who are struggling and can't seem to get ahead and have to live in roach infested built. You know, it's just like, right. He, he lives there and he like lives off of it. He's like a, he's like it. He's like a monster almost where he like feeds I do agree. off. It's of- not like he's killing for a reason because he's feeding off of all of this negative energy. I do yeah. agree with that. I just think like, if you looked at it technically, like he's True. the man with the hook yeah. on his hand. Black and guys so- killing people. <laughs> Right. Like I heard it again in that Eli Roth documentary. Somebody was like, if you were to pitch that this son of a slave owner came back and started killing all of these people as revenge because of the mistreatment of black people, like, I don't know if we would have initially made that movie just based on that. But then it turned into like, no, Candyman is so much more and blah, blah, blah. But I was like, yeah, initially, if you're just like, this black man's a monster and he's coming to kill everyone, it didn't sound as appealing. But yeah, he... He was feeding off of all of the hatred of the world, which, again, is such a good commentary that people, they need to see. They need to listen to it. So go watch Candyman go if you haven't. Go watch Candyman. Um, it's one of my Unless favorites. your name's Julia Furment. You don't and have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> then we move into 1996. The slasher genre was kind of revived, and we brought back the masked killer. In my favorite movie, it's called Scream. <laughs> Which, by the way, my sister is uh, working on the Scream set on Thursday. She is? Yeah. Oh, I knew they were so close to it, but I didn't know she was going to work on it. That's yep, she got her COVID test. It came back negative, and she's going to set on Thursday. So, Gosh, that is so freaking cool. Jamie, living the dream. That is awesome. <laughs> tell us all about it, please. Well, actually, tell Ashley, and then Ashley, you tell me all that. Okay. <laughs> um. I love this movie so much. I love the whole franchise. I just recently showed them to my sister for the first time. Sorry, Julia, you're the star of this episode, but she had never seen them. So we've been watching them together, quote unquote. We watch them separately in our homes. She's in Illinois and we Snapchat about it the whole time. And it's been so fun to show her them and get excited all over again. Wes Craven and Kellen, Kev, Kellen, Kevin <laughs> Williamson <laughs> brought us such a gift. This movie came out and decided to incorporate basically every horror trope and every rule of typical horror movies that we had known, of slasher specifically, I should say, that we had known since the 70s, but sort of in a comedic way, but while also still making you pee your pants at every turn with jump scares and horror. And it also wasn't making fun of the movies. 
It wasn't. It but was it, a satire. It had but comedic it moments. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't making fun of it. It was just sort of highlighting these funny things that maybe a lot of people didn't think about. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh my God, yeah, we Slasher do do, movies that, do that. Why are we so weird? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I found this film critic article on amc.com that I felt like they quoted it perfectly when I was trying to find a way to put into words. They said... Scream revitalized the slasher genre while also deconstructing it, which was completely true. Like, they brought back the masked killer that everybody had been missing. They didn't realize they were missing him, but we wanted him back in the 90s. And then they were totally deconstructing what a horror movie is and turning it on its head, which was awesome. Which then in turn, if you're able to do that, maybe young filmmakers at the time could see it deconstructed like that, and then they can do something different. Because you're right, we hadn't had a lot of different slashers. Right. Um, they were we starting like go to in look waves. a little the same. Yeah, it's like waves of slashers where it's like, okay, exactly. we've had 30 of these. Can we get a new one? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, it's like each decade somebody brings something new, but then there's a hundred movies of that like same vein. <laughs> you're like, come on. So yeah, this happening in 1996 was huge. And Scream also brought us a more interesting storyline than we had really seen because a lot of slasher films, not all, because like we've talked about some amazing ones in the past, but a lot were focused on just the gory killings, kind of the campiness and how over Who's the top survive. can survive. Yeah, exactly. But Scream brought us this storyline of a dysfunctional family element that came from, you know, the Prescott family and everything they were going through. And also a relatable story. Like, it just sort of seemed like the family dynamic and also some of the friendships and relationships were a little more relatable. So we had that storyline going along with some crazy campy killings and of course we were given an even some would say more badass final girl than laurie strode which i know is a hot take but sydney prescott has the purity to her however she can handle her own business she's a little more of a fighter she comes from some deep family issues and trauma so she has a strength that we've been missing in a lot of slasher movies and even the recognition of trauma being in this movie was a huge deal that it was like Her mother had died and she's, you know, trying to deal with the death of her mother while also like making sure her dad is okay. And just they're they're all in recovery together. And it's kind of bringing trauma back into the open, which every movie in the Scream franchise does that. It talks about her trauma and how she's trying to overcome it. And I think it's in the third movie when she works for like the crisis hotline is trying Mm -hmm. to help other women. I just think that's really cool that they brought trauma to the forefront and tried to make it a regular part of conversation. And also in the third movie where she's trying to help women via the uh, hotline, she's starting to have PTSD. Yeah, she's starting to see her mom, her dead mother. She's starting to see her mom and yeah, she's starting to kind of like freak out. Yeah, and hearing like the killer's voice again and Mm -hmm. yeah, she's really going into a panic. So it brought so many new themes to the forefront and- you know, we were talking about the racially charged movie a second ago with um, Candyman, and I wanted to make a comment that I thought it was clever. When the sequel came out, Scream 2, it made fun of itself for basically having an all-white cast in the first movie. Yeah. And so their opening scene was with Jada Pinkett Smith, if you've seen it. It's the infamous scene where she's brutally murdered in the movie theater. They even make a comment at the beginning. I think it's when Jada's talking to her boyfriend of saying, like, gosh, these horror movies are just filled with a whole lot of white people, and... They make a comment on how the first movie was all white people. So I thought that was clever. 
not only do they poke fun at the genre, but they know how to make fun of themselves when they need to. So, Which is funny because part of it is like representation matters. And then the other part of it is like, but I wouldn't believe if a black woman stuck around for half of this shit. Right? They're yeah, just smarter the than we are. <laughs> they are. Why and I just idiots? feel like I'd be like, she'd be out of there. I know. She would be smart <laughs> enough be so to leave. <laughs> she would not Us- be here. I could talk about Scream all damn day, but we'll move on. After this, in my opinion, and this is kind of where I wanted you to chime in, slashers, to me, have kind of died out, like, since the early 2000s. Like, we get sequels and remakes from some of our favorites, but I I couldn't think of something that seemed super original or exciting or game-changing, you know, one of those movies that is paving the way and changing things like we discussed earlier. I couldn't think I think slashers have moved to television. (laughs) They really have. Because you don't need a a huge budget. I mean, you do if you really like, if you really do practical effects, you probably need a bigger team and and maybe a bigger budget. But I think they moved to TV because you have American Horror Story, you have Scream Queens, you have... That's true. American Horror Story still does slashers in its own way, which is fun. Yeah, 1984 was just a slasher season. Because 1984 was the golden age of slashers. Yeah. It was perfect. So, but yeah, uh, I don't, I can't think of, I, I, I don't really like slashers that much. Like, I do. Right. Like the older ones. And, and I think that that's the only time that I like seeing people get killed. Uh, yeah. Because it was so crazy and the special effects were, I mean, we had Rick Baker, we had Tom Savini, we had Greg Nicotero, they were all doing the special effects at the time and they were insane. The special were effects so, were so, so crazy yeah. that when People you saw were like, someone- like, I don't know how you did this. Yeah, when you saw someone get like beheaded and this head like rolls, it's a real head. I mean, not like a real person's head, but it's a real solid thing that you can see right. fly through the air and like blood and guts and like- CGI just does absolutely nothing for me. I don't like right. it. I don't think it's art. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally fair. So, yeah. So, when it's a slasher movie and, like, the blood's not even real or, like, you know, it's it's animated, it's just sort of like, okay, well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask what your favorite uh, slasher movie was, but you already answered it. Scream. The Scream franchise for sure, yeah. but a close second is Nightmare on Elm Street. And that was another movie where like they brought in a really, really old film trope that hadn't we hadn't seen in a while, which was Sins of the Father. Oh yes. I was reading about this when I was making my notes. Yeah, that wasn't something that like we saw in horror movies as much. Right. Definitely with Freddy Krueger. I mean the kids didn't do anything, but their parents did. Yeah, and they like were this paying was for the what punishment. their parents did. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was something you know you saw in like old literature, right? But not so much in horror movies. Um, I would say mine is probably Black Christmas. Oh, uh, the original Christmas is because good. it is uh, so disturbing. But it's so disturbing. But you also don't have to. You know, you don't. You don't see a lot of the violence. Right. You just you we just know, assume what happens. You know what happens. And some of yeah. the phone calls that those girls are getting are so disturbing. They are terrifying. Um, and, and speaking then, of being game changing, the theme of like her, uh, she was going to have an abortion, mm-hmm. the main character, like yep, nobody was talk talking about publicly about abortions. Well, yeah, was it, so. Isn't it Canadian? Maybe it's because it's Canadian. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Any like... movie that's not made in America. <laughs> 
would be the Canadian yeah. thing. And then I had a special mention when a stranger calls back. It is so insane. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen. You have to watch when a stranger calls back. It's the sequel to when a, the original when a stranger calls. And it is so wild. I won't tell right, you I've a never single seen it. thing about it except watch it and you will scream out loud. Hi guys, sorry to butt in, but I wanted to start occasionally giving you some previews of our bonus episodes. My co-host is my good friend Amy Hanselman, who you may remember from our very first Unsolved Mysteries episode in Season 2. And every once in a while you'll get a surprise visit from Joey. And we grab random, weird, scary, strange, or amazing stories that don't quite fit into episodes of Keep It Weird. This clip is very topical since we're on the subject of horror movies, so I thought I'd share it with you. If you want to get a bonus episode every month, check out our Patreon. Do you remember the movie Idle Hands with Devin Sawa? Oh, is that the one where like his he cuts off his hand or like he has to cut his hand off? Yeah, his hand becomes possessed by the devil and he and starts killing people and he has to cut it off. And then it's still alive. Uh, yeah, if memory serves, I think you put that movie on multiple times during multiple parties, and uh, I right, ignored it every to, time. Here, you don't need to wrap me out like that. So, I... <laughs> <laughs> you really love that movie. Listeners do not need to know about that. Well, I found out that that is an actual condition called alien hand. Shut the f- up, Ashley. Yep. What the f- <laughs> uh, no no i hate 2020 so much <laughs> want to tell us about some zombies zombies yeah it's funny when we decided we were doing this episode i was like the only genre i really want is zombies which is hilarious because it's my least favorite genre <laughs> Same with me, of but I'm hoping movie. that you're still going to um, tell me some exciting things. I yeah. don't enjoy it. I'll get to why that is a little later after I've gone over everything, but I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of zombie movies, but I am a huge fan of um, the OG zombie movies and sort of like the, the things that they were trying to say with zombie movies. Zombie movies represent a lot of fears, whether it's like fear of death or collapse of society or Fear of being eaten alive is a, a <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. Scare a classic zombie, though. If you think about it, is just us breaking down and decomposing. So when you think about that, a zombie is cancer. A zombie is Alzheimer's. Oh. Um, it's a plague. It's an accelerated disease that we're powerless to stop. We're like losing ourselves, and we can't yeah. do anything about it. Yeah. So obviously we can be afraid as people running from the zombies, but becoming the zombie is the scariest part. Yeah. You'd rather goodness. die than become yep. the zombie, which is the same as like, I would rather die than live with like advanced Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's the same, same idea. Um, only you don't usually think about it, but now you will. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> so I'm going to start with a zombie movie that created zombie movies, at least as we know them today. And that's 1968's Night of the Living Dead, which was oh, yeah. written and directed by the late, great George Romero. And a lot of people don't know this, but he kind of invented today's zombies. Like, all of the 
mythology, the whole like shoot him in the head, sever the spinal cord, don't let him bite you thing. That was all him. Oh he wow. I didn't know that. He created it when he wrote this movie and and back the in the 60s movies. too. Yeah. That's crazy. Because before Night of the Living Dead, all zombie and films were created either by like hypnotism, like in Bella Lugosi's White Zombie, or voodoo was a big one. Uh, that mm-hmm. was in like, if you read any synopsis of zombie movies before like 1962, they're all voodoo doctors have oh, created wow. them. Okay. So this, chain, this changed it all. Yeah. And technically, even you could call Frankenstein's monster a zombie who was a science experiment. Like they were all created. Right. Some say Last Man on Earth was first, but technically those were vampires. So oh, yes. it's not the first okay. zombie movie. So <laughs> anyway, <count. laughs> George Romero wrote and directed this movie, made it for less than $115,000, and it grossed about $18 million, which is crazy. And wow. it's also preserved in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress because it was deemed culturally and historically significant. Oh, wow. There's no way that a simple zombie movie would have done that. But Night of Living Dead is not a simple zombie movie. The plot is relatively familiar at this point. It's a small group of people holed up together on a small farm in, I'm pretty sure it's Pennsylvania, um, as they, <laughs> it starts with a P. You're very confident. As they fight off hordes of creatures that seem to be people who have come back to life after they died. But this was the first movie to cast a black man in the lead role when the script didn't explicitly call for one. Yes. George Romero just cast him, just cast Dwayne Jones because, and he he claims that it wasn't, a, a, you know, a decision that he made to be socially advanced or like, you know, he, he said he was just the best one for the role. He had the best audition. He got the part, which in itself is like, well, that's the first time we ever did anything like that. <laughs> Yeah, even if that was real. the case, it's like, well, still, like, yeah, no one would no have one ever done that. that. There were there were still so many people before him who would be like, yeah, he was the most talented guy, but I'm still gonna go for the but white I'm gonna man. Go for the white guy. That's the norm. Yeah, so that is so cool. Love it. And not only is he the lead of the movie, he's the hero of the movie. Yeah, and this was significant, especially at the time. It was right in the middle. Well, not the middle, towards the end, but it was in the midst of the civil rights movement. And there were protests and riots and a crazy amount of police violence and racism. It was basically 2020. Only in <laughs> oh, the 1960s. sounds like today. And and white people were scared. They were scared of their world changing, no matter how much or how little it would change. So to cast a black man as the hero of your movie, and not only that, but like audiences saw him taking control. There are scenes where he's telling that asshole white guy that I'm in charge. You're listening to me now. You do as I say, which was like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like, holy buckets. We have never seen a black man do this, take charge like this yeah. and talk to a white person like this. It was unheard of. And yeah. the most horrific part in that movie wasn't even the little girl killing and eating her own mother. Spoiler alert. It was the end. Ugh. When the police show up and you think, oh, my God, they're saved. We're all okay. And our hero, this black man, he's shot and he's killed by the mob. And 
this was the first time white people really sort of related to a black man on screen. You know, he was quote unquote, he was, he was one of us. He was a person as opposed to a stereotype or a caricature. Yeah. Cause before that it Ooh. was like, they're playing slaves or they're playing servants right. or they're playing voodoo priestesses or, you know, those, those sort of caricatures. And this was yeah. a man playing a man and you were rooting for him to survive and so when that happened mm -hmm. and that's something that you're seeing every day on tv it, the the police killing black men so right. that was horrific and that's yeah. why it is in the film registry that makes sense yeah that is a huge thing and george oh romero gosh. um you know he claims that he didn't do that on purpose but no matter what like he changed the world really oh yeah that was still a, a big changing decision and I don't believe him because his next several <laughs> films were very, very, very much so social commentary, um, sticking it to the man. He continued to make zombie movies that had a message. His next movie yeah. was Dawn of the Dead, which was a reflection of American consumerism. The fact that all these zombies just like mindlessly show up at the mall. Yeah, right. We have to go to the mall, the stores. <laughs> And then Day of the Dead was his next movie in 1985, which was very bleak. Essentially, it was a world where zombies had existed for some time and were working towards a cure. But the military rules the people. The mil military is essentially the government at this point because society has collapsed. And there are these doctors and scientists working tirelessly to find a cure. And they have to find a cure. You have to, you know... Uh, experiment on on zombies on the the walking dead and and which means you have to have them in your facility which is dangerous like yeah. granted yeah they're not crazy for not wanting of this course. but they're being oppressed by the military who is super corrupt it's also very 2020 um when you look back <laughs> it's like this is all so familiar <laughs> my goodness stopping the cure from happening because they just disagree with xyz and blah 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 this very veiled but all of it was a huge fuck you to capitalism, to the Reagan era of mm -hmm. politics. George Romero was super disillusioned. He was f pissed at the values of his generation changing yeah. so severely and so abruptly. Mm -hmm. If George was alive and well today, he'd have just as much to say about the Trump era. I was going to say, I'm sure he would be criticizing Trump's every move yeah. based on how he was feeling back then. He hated that sort of like bleached smile with all these mm -hmm. conservative and family values and like, oh, golly gosh, I can make America great, sure can. All the while yep. supplying weapons to our own enemies and supporting dictators and ignoring the AIDS epidemic as millions of Americans die and creating a war on drugs where you specifically target black people who are doing crack that you yourself are bringing into the country. Mm -hmm. And then his generation are the people that, you know, they used to be hippies. They used to be all like free love. Right. We're all one. And they've all of a sudden got a little money. And they and turned. They, changed. they, they went to the dark into, side. Yeah, they turned into monsters. And that was sort yeah. of like what he was trying to say with um, Dawn of the Dead and especially with Day of the Dead. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's so cool. Like, what a interesting way to display what was going on in America by being like, oh, well, they became zombies when really it's like, <laughs> it's just the monsters that our country has actually become. Yeah. And you can watch all three of those movies and not see any of that. Right. Like you can just say, oh, a zombie movie. Yay. Yeah. Especially Night of the Living Dead. You know, if you watch it in, in um, 
2020 is a little different. It's an anomaly. But like, you know, when I first saw the Night of Living Dead, I think I was like 14 or 15. The fact that it was a black man as the lead role did not phase me at all. I didn't see the significance. I don't remember having thoughts on it. It It wasn't until I was an adult that I was like, this is some real shit. (laughs) Right. So after George Romero's zombie movies, not too many zombie movies are being made. The ones that were were carbon copies or parodies of the ones that came before it, like um, Return of the Living Dead was basically parodies of Night of the Living Dead. Mm -hmm. Until a little movie called 28 Days Later revived oh, I love. I actually love that movie. It's great. It's like my one zombie movie I enjoy. Same. And created new ideas. And before any fanboys jump down my throat, I know they aren't zombies. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, They're not zombies. I mean, someone but would attack us. Thing. You already know. They're fucking zombies. This was actually not the first movie to have fast zombies, contrary to popular belief. A lot of people say that this was the first fast zombie movie, but it wasn't. There was one in like the 70s. But it is basically known as the movie that created fast zombies. Like, it was so scary oh. that people were like, fuck yeah, zombies can be fast. This proves it. Let's go. Like, Super speed. <laughs> they don't just have to walk even as slow fast. as possible going, uh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I it does actually, make it that much scarier. I heard someone talk. It might have actually been on uh, History of Horror. A guy was talking about the difference between fast zombies and slow zombies and which one was scarier. And I always was like, fast zombies, no doubt. Like, it's harder to get away. They're, they're running. Like, they're fast. They're scary. But he made the argument that slow zombies actually possibly scarier because with a fast zombie, when you're killed, you barely know it's happening. Yeah. Like you're barely, it's like, boom, I'm, oh shit, I'm dead. I'm ripped in half or like 30 of them are eating me. But like a slow zombie, one, you could see it coming. And yep. two, usually they're ripping bites out of you. Yeah, they're slowly. taking their time. It's, you're suffering longer. So yeah, after I heard that, I was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I see both sides for sure. I see both sides, but that actually makes sense. So this movie Whereas zombie movies before it were like radiation caused it or plague or whatever. In this movie, we made it. We made the Mm -hmm. disease. And it combines sort of fear of scientific experimentation, collapse of society, fear of an unstoppable plague, sort of like a retribution for animal experimentation. And, you know, the fact that rage is the virus. It's not that these people are dead. They're absolutely enraged and it becomes yeah. so potent that it's you it can be transferred through saliva or blood yeah america at the time well it wasn't america it was a british movie but the world was all feeling it you can see the influences at the time the world was going through crazy shit we had just had 9-11 which like mm-hmm. yes was an american tragedy but every single country in the world had to deal with oh, yeah. 9-11 everyone felt the effects of that for sure we had the anthrax attacks the same year. Oh, gosh. Which yeah. Which is chemical warfare, essentially, on a small scale. And we also had the bird flu that year that was really bad. Jeez Louise. So plague and chemicals and, and uh, attacks like that, that was on everyone's mind. And that was very scary. And, and there's a lot of imagery in 28 Days Later that is very reminiscent of like 9-11, especially in the beginning when Jim is walking through the streets and, and he sees all the missing posters like have you seen Mm -hmm. my child have you seen this person that's what we saw in new york at ground zero people like looking looking for for their family their family who they didn't know if was dead or alive right 
my gosh. And that is so true. This movie was not the first zombie movie to do this, but it was the one that had the greatest impact on me personally. Some of the scariest parts about zombie movies and zombie TV shows is that the villains are not the zombies. The villains are mm-hmm. actually the people in the movie. The zombies yeah. are just like a thing that's happening that's really bad. Right. And then the villain of the movie is usually a person. Just some human that's an asshole. Yeah, or like in George Romero's old movies, you saw it a lot. Could be racist cops, which there were, or a corrupt military, which there were, but also mob mentality, which is so Mm -hmm. scary when people get together in a group. Things can go south so quickly. Right. We see that all the time now. Yeah, you see that all the time now in our real lives. It's a big thing in, in horror movies in general. In 28 Days Later, the villain of that movie was were the soldiers that yeah. lured their group to their blockade saying that they had the answer to infection when really their plan was to rape any woman who showed up to, oh, according to so them, repopulate horrible. the world. But it was really because they wanted to have sex. And I think that those movies in which the people are scarier than the creatures are yeah. much more impactful. And that was the first one that I was like, that was such a shock to me. Yeah. When that I remember being like very affected by that movie. And like, it was one of those that like kept me up for a few days after I saw it. And again, not because of the zombies or, you know, these infected people, if we're not going to call them zombies. It was like, yes, that part was scary and suspenseful and added excitement, but it was like, the disturbing reality of these soldiers who were not there to actually help anybody, but actually to do evil was like, oh my gosh, it just made my heart hurt. Well, and this was 2002, so I was just starting high school, and mm-hmm. I saw it in theaters. I think that might have been the first time I almost didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. I almost didn't yeah, understand we why the women were so scared and why the men yeah. wanted them. Like, it didn't really... I knew, like, on a deep level, I was like, why does my stomach feel bad? Like, I don't like this. Right. It made but you I didn't feel know, uneasy. Yeah, how horrifying it actually was until I got sure. older. So, Ugh. yeah, that was a super impactful movie for me. Mm-hmm. And then next, you have Shaun of the Dead in 2004. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I guess I was wrong. I do love another zombie movie because I really enjoy Shaun of the Dead. And like Scream, it's... Full of zombie movie tropes, but it's not, and it is a comedy, but it's not making fun of zombie no, it's films. Not at all. It's actually a very it's just good having zombie a good movie. Good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a zombie movie that's having a whole lot of fun. It, it sort of made a different statement with the same ingredients, but the social commentary was based on our complacency and our laziness mm-hmm. and our our lost connection to each other and the world around us. Um, sloth technology rotting our brains and severing our human connection the dumbing down of society it was brilliant just becoming big old dummies just becoming idiots so the reason i don't enjoy zombie movies anymore (laughs) um i just think they stopped it seems like they stopped being about something deeper than running from people eating people yeah you ain't also cgi got involved and I'm just not oh, about gosh. that life. I just can't That's do it. That's the enemy. But like Walking Dead, Walking Dead has some of the elements I like. You know, people are scarier than the zombies, etc. But it's just like no one has really done anything new. And I think I'm just bored. 
I think I've yeah. just sort of like, I've seen it. Thank you. Yeah, no, No, that's I'm a fine. good way to put it. You just get kind of <laughs> tired of the same thing yeah. over and over. It's like nobody has really surprised us with anything brand new and life-changing with zombies. So it does kind of feel like same story, same yeah. looking zombies. Well, and I also think it. that I uh, I would enjoy zombie movies more, too, if they were a little bit more like 28 Days Later, where the zombies exist and it is a problem and it's scary. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. not like the main thing in the movie where the movie is actually about the relationship of these people or whatever trying to survive. And then occasionally there are zombies and they can be scary. Yeah. Um, a couple other quick social things that zombie movies present. A big one, as I've said a couple times, the collapse of society. And mm-hmm. there are people like me who are like, this is terrifying. No way I would survive. <laughs> yep. There's no fucking way. I'm not the kind of person who's like, would I survive? No. I know the answer. I would not. I would not. And that's just who I am. And that's fine. But there is... When it comes to the collapse of society, there is sort of a fantasy of equality mm-hmm. because when that happens, when if it happens, when it happens, there is no there's no fame, there's no money, there's no power or influence in the way that it used to be. Yeah. You just don't have it anymore. There's a new status quo. And these right. people in our lives that seemingly have a lot of power, say like Mitch McConnell. He's Ugh. a fucking nobody in the zombie apocalypse. He's dessert. Like You're he right. is not. He just becomes food. He's food. But this construction yeah. worker who lived off of food stamps in the world before, he's now a leader because he has what the world needs at that what time. What people want. Yeah. Which it's is whoever strength has the resources, and like they rise to power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is sort of a fantasy involved where it's like, wouldn't it be nice though? If mm-hmm. we could strip all that bullshit away and it was just about animal instincts, but at the same time, no thanks, because I would die. I would not survive. Oh, yeah. I would die immediately. <laughs> but man, like, what a great equalizer, no. like you yeah. said. Yeah. Ugh. And uh, a lot of these films also force you to sort of take a look at yourself. You know, Shaun of the Dead. Am I the walking dead? Like, I'm so yeah. lazy right now. I'm so stagnant in the land of COVID. My entire right. world is screens. It's like TV, computer, phone. Man, yep. woman, TV, camera. Like, it's all I do is all I just day. sit in front of a screen. Consumes us. But it also makes you ask yourself questions like, at what point do you lose your humanity? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're watching Walking Dead and cheering every time one of Daryl's arrows explodes through a zombie's eye, like, that's a person. Yeah. And the same with like slashers. Like if you're watching all these Friday the 13th movies and you are just like, oh, like cheering when a woman gets her head cut off. It's like, well, that's a person. So like right. when that was a human. Yeah. When is it if you're living in this world and you're having to kill to survive at one at one point, will you lose sight of right and wrong? And if we do lose our humanity what is the point of surviving? Like, there's a point, mm, I feel like, yeah. especially in, like, The Walking Dead, where it's it's gone on for so long, that you have to wonder what the point is for them. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, you know, there are characters in that show that kill themselves, because right. eventually... They're like, what is the point? Why am I trying why so hard am I to doing survive this? in this? Yeah. Yeah. What's the end game here? Especially after you've like had to kill for food or you've had to you've had to do really fucked up shit. Done horrible things yeah. that messes you up anyway. And it's like at the end of like where am I even gonna be at the end of this? Like am I just yeah. 
I'm just living to continue the hunt, to continue to kill, to continue to hide and run. Like, why am I doing this? But you also have to compare that to like everyday life. So like someone like me yeah. with anxiety and depression, it's like, what am I doing this for? Because I don't I don't get better. Right. So it's like you have to find you have to find some purpose and the realize purpose. that there are things in your life that you are living for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we go, what's your favorite zombie movie 28 Days Later? I was just going to say, my answer is so boring because I already said it, but it's pretty much 28 Days Later, and then I love to smile and giggle at Shaun of the Dead. Yes. I. What are yours? Probably 28 Days Later. The problem is I watched it about 45 times from 2007 to 2010, <laughs> so I got real burnt out. <laughs> I Do you think enough time so has passed where you could times. watch it like tomorrow and enjoy it? <laughs> I do want to put it on my list for this October because it really has been something that I haven't seen in like seven years, but I've seen it. So I know every word, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, you know, that movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but also me either, you know, every beat, every frame, every word. Will you enjoy it? We'll see. And then (laughs) um, I, I gave special mentions for all of mine. Like this is my favorite, but special mention. um, I did write down the, so Dawn of the Dead is probably the best zombie movie ever made. If you look up any zombie movie list, this will be number one. This is the 80s mm-hmm. uh, Dawn of the Dead or 70s. I'm sorry. But yeah, there's a remake, right? The remake is surprisingly good. Is it? I've never yes. seen it. You've never seen Okay. Oh, my gosh. It's so Ashley, good. Ashley, I avoid zombie <laughs> movies on purpose. You have to understand this about me. But if you are telling me that you enjoy it, I will give it a try. I would say Dawn of the Dead is not as graphic as 28 Days Later. Okay. Because, yeah, 28 so Days Later is very that. gory, and I still liked it. Yeah. All right. I can, I mean, I can deal with gore. Like, it's not that I'm going to watch it and, like, barf. I Same. just, I would rather do something else. Same. But I can put up with it. I'd almost, I'd almost rather my gore be imagined. Yes. Which a lot of movies do that, and it's great. Yeah. I feel like that's sometimes scarier, especially when it's something like, I think about the Jurassic Park movies, right? Mm-hmm. When you hear yeah. hear the dinosaur crunching on someone, like eating yep. their bones. And you hear them scream, like, but the oh, camera pans my God, somewhere else. That's terrifying. Then oh, when yeah. you actually see them like kind of get eaten or like bit in half, it's, it's still terrifying, but like it's not seeing it and hearing them getting eaten that's like <laughs> i agree hearing the sounds and the screams you're like oh that is so unsettling but i do enjoy watching the guy get ripped off of the toilet seat that's a great yeah that guy's a great dick <laughs> that's all the time we have this week for keep it weird thank you so much for tuning into our show we'll be back next week with some more horror genres this time i'm going to be covering monster movies and lauren will be discussing demonic movies we really had a blast researching this episode you know we love horror and we hope you enjoyed it as well if you have a moment please head over to itunes or the apple podcast app and rate our show five stars even though it seems so dumb it truly helps us also follow us on social media at keep it weirdcast we're on facebook instagram and twitter occasionally We're also on YouTube. If you want to see some fun videos, head over to www.youtube.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. You can also join our Patreon. I already discussed that at the beginning. We're going to be sending out Halloween cards and we're going to have Halloween bonuses. So October is definitely the month to join. 
You can also check out our merch store at www.etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcasts. We're going to be adding some fun stuff to that soon. So keep your eyes peeled. As for a sign off today, I guess it's just enjoy your month. It's our month, guys. Enjoy spooky season. I know that we try and keep it spooky year round, but it just feels different in October, right? So enjoy this month. Enjoy all your bonus goodies from us. Participate in our pumpkin carving contest and um, stay spooky, stay healthy, stay sane, take care of each other and keep it weird. Thank you.